Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So, jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Hello, my wonderful friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to another incredible episode of The New Wave Entrepreneur. I'm Daniel DiPiazza, and I can't wait to jump into today's episode today with my friend, Jonathan Seif. You know, the interesting thing about Jonathan is that he started off on the very traditional side of Wall Street. And when you think about Wall Street, what do you think of? You think of old, crusty, stodgy, you think of you think of old money, you think of something that never moves, almost like, you know, like that that uh that mosquito in Jurassic Park stuck in the amber, you know, uh, an industry that is moving almost backwards. And that's what I think of when I think of Wall Street. And then you see someone like John. John is thinking light years ahead of the game and he is so well-connected and he so well understands this new space of blockchain technology and of crypto, not necessarily because he's a technical genius, but because he understands the vision of how this technology can serve people in a regular, everyday scenario. That's what I think is so fantastic about him. And his specific interest is on NFTs. Now, we've talked a bit about NFTs in this show so far, non-fungible tokens. But today, we're going to go on a deep dive about what NFTs are, why they're important, why they could be useful and potentially, uh, you know, profitable in your life. And you're going to get to learn a little bit about something that is the cutting edge of technology meets finance. So enjoy today's episode with John. And while you're at it, if you've been enjoying my episodes on Web3, blockchain, on crypto, I highly recommend you check out the New Wave Workshop. This is a workshop that I'm hosting on December 17th and 18th of this year, 2021. And it's going to cover all the fundamentals you need to know to understand this industry, to get involved, to avoid scams, to avoid FOMO, and to really get a a leg up on what cryptocurrency is, how to navigate this new space of Web3, how to understand the changes that are happening, and how to become really part of this new wave. So to learn more about that workshop, go to newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash workshop. You can sign up for the early bird list, depending on when you listen to this, or you can go and get tickets right away. Early birds get tickets at 30% off. And if you're, well, late to the party, you'll pay full price. But either way, very well worth it. Enjoy and check out this episode. My friends, welcome back to another incredible episode of The New Wave Entrepreneur. As you know, uh, this show is really about the intersection of Web3 and all the amazing things that are happening in this industry as it pertains to everything that is changing on the internet, in addition to concepts on personal sovereignty, on mental health, on psychology, and a sprinkle of DMT in there when appropriate. Today on the show, we have my friend uh, Jonathan Seif, who you know, really is a renegade in his space because he comes from the traditional financial uh, markets from Wall Street and 
even recently, he's been sucked into the Web3 vortex. You know, I can say from my own experience, just just being involved in this space and um, and, and just learning about all the new things that are coming out. I've never been as excited about anything, anything yeah. as before as I am now about this space. And it, it's it almost it almost scares me. Um, how much potential is in this space, but I stay up at night thinking about it. And I know Jonathan's the same, um, you know, at Instagram, he's the NFT plug and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I wanted to, uh, to welcome John to the show and, uh, and let's start this deep dive. Well, let's start. It's, it's at Mr. Profolio, Mr. Dot Profolio, because obviously I tried to switch to the NFT plug and they grabbed all of the variations of that. So, uh, <laughs> because it's a hot all, space, all your, because all your spammers grabbed it. That's it, man. Well, that's that's the world of talking about finance on the internet, which is which is probably a good segue into this crazy world of the new financial markets, which also keeps me up at night because it's incredible. You know, and I do I feel like we're so early on this, even even feeling like I'm sure you feel like we're a bit late, right? Relative to some of the people who have been in this world for some time. I mean, well, first of all, and, and yeah, you know, I was reading a, um, an article yesterday and it showed a graph of internet adoption versus blockchain adoption or crypto adoption. I mean, and we are right on in line with 1997 on that graph uh, in terms of adoption. And Mark Cuban says we're in 94. So who knows? Maybe he knows better than than, uh, than we do. But it's interesting. I think he he might know a thing or two. He might know a thing or two. I mean, in terms of a number of people adopting, I think we might be in 97 because it's, you know, maybe what, 120 million people. But in terms of the the usability of this tech right now, I think we're still a little bit earlier than that, you know, yeah. it's still, it still feels uh, a little bit muddy and that's actually a good thing, but let's, let's actually take it back and let's talk a bit about your background and how you got to this point, because most people who are in the traditional financial space, they're actually resisting this yeah. transition. And I want to know how you got from there to here. Yeah. Well, you know, most of my counterparts are not the, uh, the most, they're not tapped in, right? Like that's, that's you, the career path on Wall Street is not one of, uh, creativity and, uh, you know, continuous learning, right? It's usually one where you get to a desk, you have some clients and, uh, and, and then you're on the golf course. But so I, so I started, I started on Wall Street when I was 19. Crazy story for another time, but I ended up at, uh, at like a really, you know, not, not the greatest of, uh, of small investment firms, very like Wolf of Wall Street esque. Um, but, but, you know, I quickly realized that, you know, being like a, a, a poor kid from Queens, right? Like not growing up with, uh, with a ton of money being on wall street was, was where the money was. Right. And so I knew that, I knew that that was way better than, uh, than some of the career paths that my friends were taking. Um, and so I just learned the game. I dived right in. I was seeing checks that I couldn't believe. And this was before 2008, I was 19. It was 2007 so kind of like right before the meltdown and uh and so i had zero skin in the game i was just a kid building a business from scratch and i watched like the entire industry just crumble around me it was wildly eye-opening to you know that that a lot of this stuff is kind of like fairy dust and like smoke and mirrors right and uh and then i took a more traditional route and and went to a larger firm and kind of learned wealth management and and really got a good foundation for like the way that wealthy people manage their money and what they do. And then um 
I just got very jaded by the business. You know, I, I saw like the people around me didn't have access to wealth. They didn't have access to these services. And, and I, I just felt that I was kind of in an industry of like bottom feeders and, and just, you know, real, real like sleaze bags. And so I went to uh, a pretty disruptive startup um, to help them build out like their 401k platform. Um, and, you know, that to me felt like kind of like moving towards like the good guys. Right. And then ultimately, I just realized that I, I wanted to just help the people around me. And I, I built a firm called the Portfolio Group, which is kind of like a disruptive investing uh, firm. We do everything from kind of like core investment strategies to like some really crazy innovative investment stuff that we do with like electric vehicles and artificial intelligence and all that cool stuff. And it's really just a, a firm that I use to, to help my friends, family, old clients from the bigger firms build wealth in, in like a modern way. Right. And it's really, you know, it's built through like robo advisors and all that stuff. But ultimately going down this road of crypto led me to the stuff that you and I talk about, you know, because as a student of financial markets and like, that's really one of the only things I understand. I've been in this game for like 14 years. Um, there's just a better way of doing things that is, that is being built all around us on the daily. And it is very hard to then go back and sit at my desk and look at these like archaic financial systems that appear to be crumbling all around us, you know, and, and, and are getting worse and worse by the day and not get excited about some of the cool stuff that's going on uh, in Web3. You know, so I went down, I assume the same rabbit hole that you went down because we ended up on the other side talking about some really cool stuff. I don't think I'm on the other side, dude. I think I'm still trapped somewhere in there. Um Aren't we? That's, now, that's the game, right? It's like every day it changes. Now, now let me ask you, a, you know, a question. I think uh, maybe some people might be thinking, when it comes to building wealth, you know, one of the main inhibitors from normal people building wealth is that they don't have access to investment vehicles. They're not invested yeah. in stocks. They don't have any real estate. They don't have any of this crap. And that's, you know, that's there's a whole conversation to be had there about inflation and how really, you know. People who are at, in the disadvantaged class, poor people and people who are in the struggling middle class have cash and that's their main asset. And yep. that's always, you know, that's always losing value because as it sits there under your mattress, it's inflating. That's a conversation to be had. But when, when we look at these uh, financial systems that are obviously set up for the winners to keep winning, why should, why should a person who isn't already involved in in the financial world care about this? Why should a normal person care yeah. what's happening? Oh, such with a good question. What a good question. They are exactly the ones who should care. And they should care for a very different reason than the wealthy people care. The wealthy people care because they realize that this is like the first time in a long time that there is a pretty good chance that there's a total redistribution of wealth. You know, it's like, this is like, increasingly feeling like a winner take all kind of thing, right? Where it's like, if you have the current economy on the verge of, of chaos and collapse, and you have this, this thriving economy that's built around being informed in a sense, right? Like doing the work, learning about things, being early, you know, and we can even talk about like GameStop in a sense, because I think there's like a bigger, like how that played out is a really good indication of like the mm -hmm. value that you can assign to like the power of information, right? And the power of connectivity, right? And what happens when you connect information and ideas, right? With people who are willing to do the work and participate in these discussions, that is a terrifying thing to someone who's on a golf course, like I said, right? 
and like his clients are relying on him to give them the gems, right? How did those clients should be terrified because the people who's managing their money are so late on this, right? That it's like, if you start, like you and I probably have combined more information than, than a lot of people, right? But it's like the amount of digging that we've done, anybody could do. It's out there. It's free. This information is widely accessible to people who are interested in finding it. And so I think for people like us who are having this conversation, it gives us an opportunity to say like, hey, we're not that much further than other people, right? We've like, we're interested parties who have done some homework. But look, what's on the other side is like a totally different way of doing things from banking to digital ownership to privacy to interacting with the web to, I mean, it's everything is different on the other side. And that's why people who get into this shit come off like raving lunatics, right? Because Sound like so, a lunatic. Yeah. And, and so for people who are uninformed, they're like, this person's out of their fucking mind. Right. Like, I don't want to engage with this person on anything because they're going to talk my head up about ERC 20 tokens. And, you know, like, it's like, who's got time for that? You know? <laughs> well, OK. So just to give some context for people who maybe weren't paying attention when this happened earlier in the year, I think it was maybe uh, Q2. What happened with GameStop and AMC? All right. So without going too deep, right, the Internet in the form of Wall Street bets on Reddit figured out that there was a wild short interest in GameStop, right? Because think about it, like going into the pandemic, who thinks GameStop is going to make it out, right? Like there there was even stuff about like their employees hated them because they were making them come in with co- I mean, it was just like a mess, right? So no, everybody had kind of counted them out. And so they were just super short interest on this stock. And people were like, hey, if we just start buying this thing and decide that we're not going to sell, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to cover their short positions at massive losses, right? And it became like this standoff between the internet and Wall Street and like all these like traditional funds and hedge funds and all these like backdoor like meetings where like, you know, it's like it's so fucking shady would happen, right? And it's like it became like this standoff between the internet and Wall Street, like we're not fucking backing down, right? And Wall Street was like, we're not backing down either, you know, and they started calling in like, that's where you hear like that, you know, Robin Hood has their custody is with Citadel and because it's all it's all connected. All of them like have lunch at, you know, Cipriani's together at the end of the day. Right. And so they were like, we can just like mellow these guys out, stop their trading, all this stuff. And, and people were like, no, like we will take you to the mat. We don't fucking care. It's not about the money. We want to put you guys out of business. And those those funds lost billions. They lost billions. And I'm sure I haven't checked, but I'm sure some of them went out of business, you know, and, uh, and that was like powerful. And and it's crazy because I think even then Wall Street was like, these people got it wrong. Like they, like they just got lucky one time and then it happened again with AMC. Right. And so GameStop might've been like a once in a lifetime thing with respect to the short interest. Cause I'm sure they'll never do that again. Right. But like, then we see it in crypto. It's like, it's just people are like, you guys are not on inside of this club, right? And we will continue to disseminate information and this one's going to run. And, you know, by the time it like hits Wall Street's radar, people have made so much money. And so that is to tie it all back to your question, why this should be exciting for people who are willing to do the work. Because forget about what you think about like cryptocurrency or, you know, digital art. Right. Like the conversation is like, if you get informed, 
The entire economy is being rebuilt right now. And you can be one of the early adopters before you're forced, before you're forced to take on this technology in an app that you don't know is like driven by this technology. (laughs) Exactly. You know, like the fact that Facebook changed their name to Meta should tell you that like this thing is not going away. Well, man, there's so many things to unpack there. The first is, I mean, for anyone who's still kind of scratching your head about the AMC GameStop thing, you know, why did I not? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's, it's a powerful, it's a powerful yeah. example of it to, to really, yeah. to really focus on because it shows, um, it shows that the people really have the power, you know, um, Wall Street was obviously betting that these companies wouldn't survive because they, they shouldn't have sur- survived, you know, they, right. they, they, there was a lot of reasons why they shouldn't survive, especially AMC and Reddit, which is a very powerful group of communities, which in my opinion, Reddit is, it's a, it's, in some ways, it's like a like frozen in time because it's similar to how the early internet functioned. Yeah. If you ever went on these old AOL chat rooms uh, where no one used their real names and everyone was just exchanging information, that's kind of what Reddit is. It has that old school feel. It's just yeah. message boards. And these communities on Reddit got together and said, hey, we're actually going to start buying this stock because we care about it. Partially because there's a lot of nerds on Reddit and partially because they want to fuck the system. And so it completely trashed Wall Street's, you know, short position. And not only that, but Robinhood itself, you know, as you were saying, is in and with Wall Street. They're, they're having lunch at the same places. And yeah. um, for a while, they actually, you know, they shut down trading on their platform, which was huge, right? Yeah, it, it was it was disgusting, you know, and, and not, it's not taken into like my thoughts on Robinhood because we could be here all day. I took all my money out of Robinhood. That's my thoughts. Same, same. I think that... You know, it, it like while it is great that they brought a lot of new investors to the market, I think that, you know, they they probably carelessly let people speculate in a way that, you know, it's like you made it intentionally fun to speculate, which is cool when it works out. But I've seen I've I because this is my world, I've heard a lot of stories where people were like trading options that they didn't understand. And like so. So but but yeah, man, it, it's all these people are connected and. It is like the goal is to make sure that the money stays up here and everybody else is fighting for it down here, right? Like the, the right. crumbs, you know, and, and, and that's, that's like the irony of the thing, right? It showed the hypocrisy of like all of these firms, a firm named Robinhood. The firm is named <laughs> Robinhood, right? And it's like, and then, and then, and then they, and then people get it right in like a massive, massive way. Right. And knock it out the park in a way that if any trader had done that, they would have been like acclaimed. Like people in my business live off of their best year. Like this person had a rock star year in 1987 and he's still talking about it. Right. (laughs) But but when Wall Street bets gets it right. Right. Like then it's like, no, we got to shut this fucking thing down and change the rules. Yeah. And that and that shit. And I think that's why a lot of people were so fuck it, I'm going to crypto. How, like how, you know, or, or like there's better things, there other, you know, there's better systems. There's better systems that, that the people at the top can't just like turn the lever when people are doing too well. Exactly. Like, and, and that's really what we're getting at here. You know, when we're talking and making this transition and really talking about why crypto, you know, that's why you should care. Because if you were born, you know, honestly, any time in the last seventy years, really, before, before, uh, or after World War II, and the, you know, from the from the boomers on, you were born into a system where all the rules were set. The stock market was already well on its way, and the levers were already, you know, 
turning and the in the correct well, I guess lever is more of a switch, but the the dial was already turned in the direction of the powerful. And if you're lucky, you could work your way up through the system where you could try to accumulate as much money as possible, but there's only a, a few number of power positions and a few number of power seats yeah. and everything else is just collecting the drippings from the top, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I so I did I recently did uh I'm like putting the series out on like the history of like, you know, the internet, history of money, history of like art collecting, right? To kind of bridge to how do we get from like barter system to crypto, right? And the craziest thing, right, is that like you look at the history of money. First off, literally as early as they could press up gold coins, they were devaluing that that currency with like, you know, cheaper metals, right? Because it's like as soon as someone has the power to control the economy, right? Like that is the the only thing they care about is holding on to that power and using that to manipulate, right? It like nothing happens. There's coins, there's coins, there's coins, right? And then at some point they're like banknotes, right? So it's like too too cumbersome to walk around with coins and it's like IOUs, right? So now so yep. now you get to the US, right? Like master manipulator. We're like, hey dude, we'll take all your gold, right? Rest of the world's mm-hmm. in shambles after after the war. They're like World War II, yeah. Give us all the gold and like, boom, you're, we'll give you the IOUs, right? And everyone is like, fuck. So they're like, yeah, okay. Th- that feels like a good idea. You guys have some big vaults, right? Until it doesn't work for us, right? And then like Nixon's in there like, uh, you know, we're off the gold standard, right? And like in an instant, every other currency had to like restructure, you know, and they were totally left out, you know, because he wanted to combat like a falling dollar, right? And so it, it's like when you have that ability to just change the whole game for everyone else when it doesn't work with you, it's too much power, especially when it's tied to money, right? And so that is what's happening is that people are like, now we have the connectivity, so we don't really need a government intermediary to distribute the money, right? So now we're all connected, borderless community, why should we not have a currency that's in line with the community that, that we keep, right? And I think I think governments are, are probably terrified by that. And the people at the top are like, I would, if I were them, I'd be buying a shit ton of Bitcoin and Ethereum with my billions and billions of dollars, you know? Well, I mean, man, there's so much to say there. I mean, one thing that I, I kind of have realized as my own, through my own study and in my own reflection is that, you know, after World War II or during World War II, when Europe was getting absolutely trashed, Many countries were sending their physical gold, their gold reserves to America, and we were holding on to it for safekeeping. And then what ended up happening as a result is because we ended up, uh, you know, basically stepping into World War II in quarter four, bombing the shit out of everyone and claiming victory. We ended up not only, you know, basically taking the victory, but also then having this mass amount of gold in our reserves. So ended up being the wealthiest nation. Then... You know, we were able to essentially create the new world monetary policy by pegging the, the, the international value standard to the dollar. We had all the gold and we decided that gold would create to dollars. And then we created the international monetary standard, which made dollar the international reserve currency. Yep. Right. And so that gave us the essentially the, the, the permission, the ability to just print money. And we yeah. went nuts. Yep. We went nuts. And it worked for a while. Um, and, and look, if you had the ability to, you know, money printer go burr, you would do it until the sparks <laughs> flew too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then sure. we went off the gold standard though. And, uh, we've become just, we kind of, I kind of feel like America is kind of like Jabba the Hutt, you know, so big and so fat 
that we can't even move from our throne anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, going into the pandemic, like China really scared me, right? Like, you know, the, the whole deal with the global, the, the reserve currency is that like, once you lose that status, you, you have nothing, over, right? You're, you're just over. another, you're another country with an economy inside of itself, right? And so it just like, I have been feeling for a while, like the writing was on the wall that, you know, inevitably, like if China launched the digital currency and had trade partners and built out the Silk Road, like that would, that would probably disrupt us from being the reserve currency, right? They could say like, you know, we have a digital yuan. It's like, if you want to do business with us, you must accept this. And then boom, that's yep. the digital. But, but, you know, it's like, even if it's not right, even if it's just like ether or, you know, or like Bitcoin maximalists figure out how to make that like the, the, you know, it's like, it is certainly not like nobody is like, I think the U S dollars in like prime running to be the, the next, you know, the next hundred year global reserve no, currency. No. Right. No. Like people are like, this run is over. And it's and and I think the writing's on the wall. Well, I mean, from what from what I've been reading, you know, um, maybe 10 years ago, 80 percent of China's national reserve was still tied to the dollar. And now it's like 40. That that tells you everything you need to know right there. So so one thing I got from this, you know, just just thinking through this conversation is that cryptocurrency, really Web3 is the is the context. And then under Web3, you have blockchain, which is the technology that's primarily taking center stage with yeah. Web3. Blockchain being basically um, a ledger, which is a, a basically a receipt, an internet receipt that is immutable, meaning that as soon as something goes on that receipt, you can't change it. One of the big issues with, let's just talk finance, is that they're basically changing the ledger whenever they want to. In order to print dollars, it's literally just going into the the Federal Reserve, which isn't even owned by the government. It's not even a federal organization, by the way. It's a whole different conversation. But they literally just print, they literally just press, you know, control, enter, and they print a trillion dollars. That's changing the ledger, essentially. But with blockchain, part of that, I, the, the, the value around the technology is the ledger is public. Um, in many cases, it's immutable depending on what the technology is. With blockchain, it's immutable. Or, or with, with Bitcoin, it's immutable. You know, Ethereum, they're going to make more, but they're going to also burn some. There's a whole process around it. But really what this comes down to for me is true digital ownership. So like imagine, you know, imagine that you, up until now, especially with Web2, we don't really own anything. We just, we're renting. We're just renting space everywhere. And there's a good reason for it, you know, well, at least according to Web2 standards, because every platform that we're a part of, you know, wants us to be exclusively part of that community so that they can leech our data, so that they can monetize us. Because the way that these platforms are monetized is not by us paying them, but by them selling our information to other bigger companies. And it's this shell game of them selling our information and us uh, just basically taking it. But and don't worry, because it's free. <laughs> Don't worry, because it's free. And I could go on and on about how, you know, uh, just, just, it's just corrupt that this is happening. Um, but I think the important part is that. I know, no, I was just going to say, and maybe you can touch on it. It would be pretty crazy if there was some way that, uh, that digital ownership could, uh, could be recorded. If there was like a mechanism that, uh, all of these things could kind of be almost like a world computer or something like that. Well, well, I mean, that's literally, and so for people who don't understand, I mean, as a quick side note here, um, Ethereum literally is a world computer, you know, and, and, um, Bitcoin is a currency. It's a store of value and it, there's a blockchain that it runs on. And Ethereum is in many ways an, an improvement to that. Ethereum is the network 
Ether is the little is the token or the store of value on that network. And really, that network runs what's called the EVM, the Ethereum Virtual Machine. So Ethereum is actually a network of other networks that allows massive and rapid data transfer between every connected device in the world using different protocols. Um, so, so we have created that and it allows for true digital ownership. One of the, the, um, analogies I heard earlier, which is, I don't know if it was from Chris Dixon or from Naval, um, was the idea of imagine if you go into a restaurant or a store and every restaurant or store that you go into, you had to change your clothes, you know, cause yep. you can only wear certain clothes in that restaurant. And as soon as you leave, you got to take them off again. You know, I think that was Dixon. That is, yeah. Yeah. Spot on. It's a great analogy. And that's yeah. how, that's how it is now on the internet. If you're on Twitter, you're only in there. And when you leave, you're, you know, you can't take any of the IP with you. You can't take any of the, the, um, resources with you. And you're beholden to that place while you're there. We are going to get right back to the episode, but first, I want to tell you two things. Well, one, I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to me and to have me share some of my opinions and my thoughts with you. And the second thing is, if you are listening to this episode and you're digging what we are putting down, if you are into the new wave, if you want to learn about how you too can be a part of this new transition in technology, this new transition in economy, and be a part of everything that's happening, I highly encourage you to check out the New Wave Workshop. This is a live workshop I'm hosting via Zoom, December 17th and 18th, with me and a bunch of other really smart friends who are going to break down everything you need to know about blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, Web3, the metaverse, and everything in between. This is a fantastic primer that will allow you to understand what's going on so that you can participate in this transition rather than just sitting back and being a consumer. This is your opportunity to really understand what's happening so that you too can take advantage of this time, so that you can learn to invest, so that you can understand where the scams are and avoid them, and so that you can come out on top. This is a great opportunity for you to be part of the new wave. So if you want to learn more about this workshop and how you can get involved, you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash workshop. That's where all the info will be. And of course, we'll put this in the show notes as well. So thank you for listening. And now back to the episode. What's happening now is that we are able to, through uh, cryptocurrencies or, or through really blockchain technology, as we traverse the internet in different uh, financial markets, in different recreational markets, in different places where we're existing as our digital selves, which let's be honest, most of us spend most of our time existing as our digital self now. We're, we're living online. Now, as we live in this, this, this inclusive space, we can take all of our information, all of our data, all of our ownership of you know, of our intellectual property, of our passwords, of our money, of our, of our connections. Um, and we can take them from application to application all around the web, securely owning that data, being able to transfer it from person to person and, uh, and truly owning it rather than renting the space on there. 
So that's where we're headed in a specific area of focus that we've been talking about, um, you know, behind closed doors, but not really so behind closed doors is NFTs. And they're fascinating, fascinating new ways to, uh, to show that this technology is not just a fad or a bubble. There are some bubbles going on, but it is a real and viable technology. And I want to just get your hot take on what is NFT and why should I give a fuck? Yeah. So you should absolutely give a fuck and probably. Well, you understand what's going on, but probably for most people, it's not the reason why they think they should give a fuck, you know, and, and, uh, you know, so to jump from where I was at, uh, with starting the, the investment practice to today, right? Like it's, uh, I mean, this technology is, is so rapidly expanding, right? And there are like, I think that's the beauty of this is that you dive into this world and you find the thing that resonates with you, right? Like I am a student of, capital markets, but because I enjoy like the, the psychology of like bubbles and, and why people chase investment and, and that kind of stuff. Right. So I just, anything that people can own, collect, trade, like is fascinating to me, you know? And so I probably learned about NFTs in the ways like everyone else. Right. Because I was like, what is going on with Top Shot? And, you know, like some of these like earlier things, like people like, you know, and, uh, and then I kind of, dove right into like what's going on under the hood here right like what 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 else can be done with it? you know for creators this is a game changer it has nothing to do with the profile pictures and like you mentioned bubbles i think that's exactly where we at right now people have no clue what it what this technology can be and the only application that they're seeing is like these really high price profile pictures which we can talk about yes. why yeah. The, yeah why why they are going for what they're going for and I think there's like, if people understand what's going on there, I think that like some of it makes sense. I think there's definitely bubbles. What's more concerning to me is like the fact that because of those really expensive profile pictures, now there are countless other projects of less cool profile pictures that people are still pricing up as if, you know, and so I think that's the bubble is like at some point, everyone's going to have a profile picture and like not every profile picture is a board ape or a crypto punk. You know, so, so like your, your project that like, you know, 86 people are like following on Twitter is probably a bubble, right? But, but the technology, right? Like the underlying technology of being able to store utility and functionality in any kind of uploadable, uh, file, right? Like JPEG, you know, MP4, like any kind of creation, uh, or book, etc is uploadable and if it's uploadable then you can also store utility on it and you can build a community around it and i think that is what brands are starting to figure out now that it's like they don't i think they're partially there for the money grab because they're like we sold a shit ton of back to the future merch years ago yeah. now we can <laughs> now we can make a couple million more on like you know delorean uh <laughs> nfts but i think that at some point they're going to be like it's not like you're seeing these these companies wanting to use their own chains and like platforms because I think what they're starting to realize is like anybody who will download an application to buy a DeLorean NFT is probably somebody that we want to keep close if we're going to be selling more stuff. And it's like, if we're going to keep them close, let's build a community around them. And that's why you see like Discord groups and that kind of stuff. But I think that this 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 technology is going to help people find other people who are identically like them, you know, who are into the same stuff shared interests as you incorporate shared interests into the metaverse you're gonna have people like you know it, it, it's it's 
it's only it's only mind boggling if you don't understand why Supreme is a thing, you know, or why Rolexes are hot or, you know, like like if you understand the significance culturally of things that that people have shared interest in, then you should understand what's going on, especially if you live a large part of your life online. You know, if you, if like if you're just on Instagram all day or on Facebook, it's like you may not feel like you're in the web, but like, guess what, dude? Welcome, you know. No, this is so so true, and I wanted to even just zoom out one one level further and, and give some foundational definitions here. You know, NFT stands for non fungible token. What what is an NFT? For what what does that even mean? Non fungible. Yeah. So so the way that I describe it is that fungible means like interchangeable, right? So like like uh, I always use like this hundred dollar bill uh, explainer. Like I give you a hundred. And I don't care if you give me back my hundred, if you give me your hundred, someone else's hundred, boom, 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 two fifties, hundred you know, ones, like, you know, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's interchangeable. It's totally fungible, right? Non fungible is like it's unique, right? So then I'll say like, I give you my car, right? Like I need my car back, you know, that's non fungible, right. right? Like give me mine because I own it, and you can't just bring me another black Jeep. It has a VIN number on it. It's a one specific car. Yeah, exactly. Unique identifier, right? So. Non-fungible token is a token that displays unique ownership, right? So, so to to I think what's helpful is when when I explain to people why CryptoPunks is significant, it like people kind of understand what's going on, right? And if you think about like the project that CryptoPunks was, which was basically like, can we assign uh, ownership to these images, like these JPEGs, and and hey, if you have a wallet, you can come pick one up, right? And at some point, you have 10,000 of these things floating around owned on, on the blockchain. And that's the significance, right? So when you think about why they're going for millions, it's because they're artifacts of the web. You know, like they are an artifact in this technology that now is like, you know, enabling us to put out albums and, 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 you know, other collections. And so that, that was like what kicked it off, right? And then, and then you look at like the, the fact that some are more rare than others because you can assign attributes, you know, it's like you, you, you like, you may not be like, I'm not arriving at those valuations of paying millions, but you're like, okay, I can understand why this is a little bit more meaningful than another JPEG, right? Like one that I can just go on Google images and find. And it's like, if you assign some value to it, yeah, there we go. There, look at those things. Some crypto punks. That you know? is pro. What do you think? That's like, I don't know. $50 million worth of JPEGs right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most expensive image of images ever. Um, but what's the difference? What's the difference between looking at a JPEG like this, you know, and looking at a Babe Ruth card? It's the same thing. Yeah. You know, yeah, well, autographed, so, yeah. you know, authentic Babe Ruth rookie. What's the difference? They, they both don't have any intrinsic value. They're assigned value through our mind. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's whatever people are willing to pay. You know, if there's if there's one of thing, if there's one of one thing, and and we both like it, it makes it a little bit more, it makes it a little bit more valuable. You know, and and the thing is that people, it, there's an element of FOMO as well, right? So it fuels it a little bit more. You know, so you have people who think this thing is cool, and then people who don't really think it's cool, who are still like, you know what, I'll pay more for it too, right? So it's like it's definitely. There's a lot going on, a lot of speculation, and a lot of uh, craziness, but it's no different than a few years ago with the ICOs, you know, like you, like, what was it? 2017, like all the ICOs, you knew that was, you knew that that was going to be like just money grabs, right? Like 
no offense, but Jim Jones has a coin, you know, like <laughs> capable. You know, I got sent, I got sent uh, a stripper coin the other day that you can be spent in strip clubs. You know, yeah. like it's like Floyd Mayweather had a coin. Sure. You know, of course. Right. Why not? Because it's a money grab. So there's always money. Floyd grabs. will fucking do anything. He'll do anything. Yeah. Yeah. He'll do anything. Um, there's definitely well, jokes about it, whether, never mind. Do I mean, <laughs> He'll, he will do anything. Um, except for take good fights at this point. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to preserve that record. Um, I mean, look, you, you know, I think that especially for, for gamers, it's pretty easy to understand why yeah. this stuff is, is popping because I had friends in high school, specifically one friend, man, this, this was probably in 2004 or five and he was selling different types of like armor from Diablo and different types of like swords and stuff from the game as he was playing the game. And these were things that he would like work hard to collect and earn. And then he would sell them on internet forums for real money. And I thought people are People are paying you yeah. for this digital good. And, and you know, there there are economies inside of games. If you play like World of Warcraft, you play these, yep. you know, these games where there's like, it's already been tokenized in a lot of ways. But now we're taking that to the societal level. We're saying, look, you know, we live a lot of our lives in the digital world. Why shouldn't there be real digital ownership? Just like, you know, I own this this water bottle, why in my digital world do I not have real ownership over things? Everything that we yeah. do online right now is, you know, is just something that we're renting. Like all the, for instance, all the files that we use every single day on Google, Google Drive, we don't actually own those because we don't own the account. Just like our yeah. accounts can be suspended anytime, anytime, just like we can be canceled off of Twitter or something like that. We don't own those. You know, when Google was building themselves on the web in the first, you know, the first protocol of the web, HTTP, you know, we knew that if, 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 it was built on the web that for all intents and purposes, no one could take it away from them. They knew yep. that if they built this, it would just be out here in the public domain, you know. Um, and now on the blockchain, we're creating a new layer of that where we have a new public domain that's even more secure and even has ownership to it. So what we should be thinking about NFTs isn't the bubble of if crypto punks are huge or I, I mean, I have I have a. Um, uh, an image called a surreal right now is my profile picture on my stuff, which is like a, a mushroom, you know, it's yeah. funny for psychedelic reasons. And, um, you know, I own that thing. Um, but it, but it doesn't, it's, it's not about that image or about, you know, these interesting, like, you know, bubbles, the fact that Christie's, you know, sold a pack of these NFTs for like, you know, $30 million or whatever. I mean, crazy. Um, it's the fact that one, if you look at open sea, open sea has done billions of dollars in transaction volume already. You know, they're, can I, they're can I just company. say? Can I just say? Yeah. This time last year, they had six employees. They just cracked right. ten billion dollars. Ten billion dollars. Right. Right. This is so right. new. Wasn't even so. OpenSea. OpenSea is like the eBay guys. OpenSea is like the eBay of NFTs. They they sell and resell digital artwork, and you might not have even have heard of them. OpenSea.io, uh, and they're just getting started. You know, and even in what you'll even find too is that. As you start to buy things from the digital format online, like for instance, John and I bought our, our .eth extensions, our name extensions. So I'm dpiazza.eth, you know, yeah. he brought his extension as well. And we also bought the some NFT? of our, um, wait, can I plug it? You plug which it. Means, which means nothing at this point, but maybe 10 years from now, it'll be <laughs> the way that we do everything. I'm the NFT plug.eth. So, you know, yep. future, future yeah. listeners, and, once it means something, come on back. Well, what I thought was so interesting is those names, uh, th those, those, you know, those extensions or whatever, um, they go right into your, your, 
your wallet, your Ethereum yeah. wallet. Yeah. Yeah. So what I wasn't even aware of when I bought it, I was like, oh shit, like these, these domain names are actually NFTs. They're non fungible yeah. tokens. They're actually, it's, it would be like going to a, to a domain name store, like a GoDaddy physical store and buying yep. a package that says, yep. here's your www.daniel.com or whatever. You buy it. It's physically yours. No one else can take well, it. Well, one crazier, which I think we both missed. I know I missed the, the ENS drop, but I think you did too. We were like a little, I, th- I think like a couple of days late on that, but we were a couple days even, late. even the fact that by owning this, you can get an airdrop of tokens in the protocol, like the voting system for the owner of that domain name. It's just a, it's, it's just a crazy concept that a year ago or a couple of years ago, people would have thought it's crazy. Like why? Like for what purpose? Why does GoDaddy need, need a, a, a currency? No, but but it's like, hey, if this is where I hold my domain and, and this is going to follow me throughout the Internet, I want to say in in like the, the voting and, and the protocols and the governance of, of this. And I think that that is, you know, it, it's it's tough to like explain to somebody who doesn't understand because there's so many layers to, it, you know, and it's like such an onion that it's like, wait, I just understand Bitcoin. Right. How, you know, I've had conversations where someone's like, oh, it's all a scam. And I'm like, what? You know, like what part? It's good though. They're like, they're like Bitcoin and all that stuff. And I'm like, well, hold on. Do you mean the the currency or the the blockchain? And they're like, "Ah, all of it. All of it. I'm like, clearly, they don't know the difference. Right. Right. What? Actually, my barber actually told me the same thing. He said, "Well, no." He asked me. He said, "Is Bitcoin a scam?" A lot of times, people use Bitcoin as like the as as the overarching name for all crypto. Just Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin. You know, it's yeah. kind of like saying uh, Kleenex is a tissue paper. Like that's the brand name. Bitcoin has become the brand name for all crypto. Um, but it's good if people are asking that because in the near future, you're going to be forced to use this stuff anyway. So yeah. the fact that you still think it's a scam means that we're that early still because you're, yeah. you haven't been mass adopted yet. Um, and if you look at the graph, only 120 million people, you know, have adopted or have a crypto wallet. And there was a um, there was a crypto survey, a crypto literacy survey put out by Blockworks, I believe. And most people failed it. You know, ninety percent of people failed it because uh, they would asking things like, you know, what is blockchain? What is Bitcoin? You know, how many are there? Like just basics. Well, do, let me ask you: Do, do you have? Uh, do your parents own crypto? Uh, I just got my mom on Coinbase this week, and she bought some Bitcoin and some SHIB. I said, don't buy SHIB; it's pumping. Like, but then I said, you know what? Just, I said, just buy, just, I just wanted to get her involved. Sure. Buy it, yeah, but yeah, don't yeah. do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. My dad, so not yet. But so that's what I'm saying is I, you know, I forced my mother, you know, a while ago <laughs> to pick up like some, some ETH and some Bitcoin and a couple other, you know, I've been fighting with my father for, for so long. I think of those 120 million, like, what do you think? Maybe 50 actually understands what they own. You know, like, I think, I think like, if you're making one for this person and this person, and then everybody who's into this stuff is a raving lunatic and like at the, at the Thanksgiving table being like open Coinbase, open this, you know, buy this. So I think that, that even of those 120 million, how many, you know, how many do you have opened their wallet again since they bought it once Yeah, or are thinking about it like this, Yeah, you know, this shit keeps me up at night. Do you understand? Keeps me up at night. There's nothing else that I've done to this point that is, become this deeply obsessive because it's not even about the money. The money is great. Yeah. yeah. But it's not even about the money. 
They're changing the whole fucking internet. I'm trying to explain them. I said, mom, they're rebuilding the stock market. Okay. They're rebuilding it. Do you understand this? I said, if you would have put in a thousand dollars to Amazon in 1997, when they IPO at $18 a share, and then they had three different stock splits since yeah. then, you'd have 254 shares at three, at 3,500 bucks. And it'd be worth 1.2 million for just doing nothing. And the yeah. Amazons of Web3 are being built right now. And they're called, right they're called Solana and they're called Avalanche and they're called Polkadot and they're called Algorand and they're right there and they're $50. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey man, I, I totally believe that. And this is somebody who's been like studying this stuff for a long time and looking at, at, you know, just the, like the whole inefficiency of like, transparency in financial markets when you look at the fact that there's white papers and you know exactly who the developers are and all the source code is 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 you know open for everyone to see it's um the funny thing is that it's like it almost always starts with somebody learning about bitcoin and then learning about blockchain and then learning about ether and then learning about d apps right but then from there it's like dude i just am so into art and culture and like nfts just really you know, speaks to me, right? Like, I think like, if I can understand what's going on and understand the community and understand the economics, like, that's really cool to help creatives figure out how to monetize their work and, and participate in future royalties. Like, you know, I wish I was a painter. I wish I was more of a creative, but for me, like that, that manifests in the business side, you know, and, and, and building things. And, and, you know, so, so I think that like, you know, for creatives, it's the NFTs for, for like, you know, uh, guys like uh like our finance is DeFi. DeFi or someone like you know who just thinks that like the world is broken and i want to rebuild it and i wish there was a better way like hey DAOs, guess what you know decentralized autonomous organizations you can rebuild anything you know and that is the beauty of having the best and brightest trying to answer like the most important problems that the world has and that is why i'm well, so bullish on web3 I'm so, I mean, I'm right there with you. And, and just to touch briefly on one of the key features that makes NFTs so important for artists is that there's continued royalties if you build that into the contract. Yeah. So traditionally speaking, like artists make most of their money off of selling merchandise because album sales don't do much for artists. The, the label takes most of that. And with streaming sales, they're getting pennies unless you're a huge artist. And even then it's not even representative of the amount of volume that you're doing, you know, yeah. um, with NFTs, Built into the contract when you develop these these essentially these tokens, um, you have continuous royalties that are paid to the originator of that piece of art. So let's say that I sell you, uh, you know, uh, well, Tory Lanez, for instance. I don't really, I don't really like Tory Lanez, but I know he did an album drop uh, a couple months ago. Uh, but let's say you did an, uh, an album drop as a musician, or you did a, a series of, of photo- photographs as a photographer. Uh, let's say that you sell these NFTs and you sell them each for a hundred dollars or whatever. The person that then buys that, your fan, um, has that piece of merch. They feel that they're part of your community because now they own this piece of digital merchandise. And just like fans all around the world, we want to feel like we're in a community with the people that we support, that we yep. attract, you know, that, that are, that we're part of this, this initial group. Kevin Kelly from, you know, the founder of Wired Magazine has this idea of thousand true fans. And this is the idea. You know, his thesis years ago was that if, a, if an artist has a thousand true fans, they can support themselves. To extend on that thesis now with NFTs, every time that NFT, which is a store of value because people perceive it to be a store of value, every time the NFT is sold again to someone else down the line, the original artist gets a piece of the proceeds of that sale, 5%, 10%, whatever is set in the contract. Therefore, as it keeps making the rounds around the world, the original creator gets a piece of that, not the, not the record label, 
not the producers, not who the, the artists. And it's revolutionizing the way that artists are able to monetize their work because it truly cuts out the middleman and allows the artist to continually experience the upside, not only after they've sold it, but in the future. Imagine, you know, these artists who who create these masterworks, these Van Goghs. Well, I mean, Van Gogh is way dead, but, you know, these Jackson Pollocks who die yeah. and they've made subpar livings or just made it while they're alive. And then Christie sells or works for $30 million and they don't get shit from it. Their family doesn't get shit from it. You yeah. know? Yeah. This completely flips that paradigm. I did a, I did a panel on uh, a legal panel on NFTs and um, it was, it was for like a younger audience and the questions were so fascinating about, about like the, about the, you know, the, the impacts and like the, the potential impacts of this technology. And a lot of it was around like, you know, these were, were, uh, attorneys who represent like athletes and, and, and artists. And a lot of what, what they're wondering is like, is this a way for our artists to make sure that they are preserving a legacy for their future generations, right? Like if this artist has, you know, timeless work, right? What can we do to make sure that if this still is, is a thing, you know, a hundred years from now, right? Like future generations should live off of this person's work. And I think that, you know, art, art is kind of the one, the one thing where you can spend your entire life building something masterfully. And not only can you not be a beneficiary, but your family cannot be a beneficiary. You know, and it's like you, you go and work your ass off for 40 years. I go, I take a job, whatever. We'll have a 401k, maybe a pension, you know, that if, if my kid is wise with money and I've, you know, like you get, you get a trickle effect for future generations and for some, you know, for, for, uh, just based on the greed of that industry and how things were set up and the, the legalities, you know, up until now, there really hasn't been a mechanism to make sure that like what I'm building today and what I'm creating today can potentially last for future generations and potentially pay them in ways that I can't even fathom. You know, and I, I think that's an incredible thing. And I think people are glazing over this and acting like this is really just about pixelated, you know, profile pictures. Well, and they I just don't, don't get it yet. And that's fine. Yeah. They just don't get it yet. They don't, and, and, you know, it's like when your birth certificate is an NFT, you'll get it. Yeah. You know, they'll yeah. start doing that. You know, yeah. they'll start doing that. We're just not there yet. And, and but, it's it's the same thing as as you, you know the personal computer in the seventies. People would say, well, "Why do we need that? We have typewriters and magazines." Right, right. You know, it's like, but the people who were innovating this stuff said, "Oh, but the applications for this are, are and the implications are wide and variable. It's not just about taking what already exists in the analog and making it digital. It's about the fact that this technology extends our capabilities, not yeah. just enhances what we currently have." So yeah. there are things that are going to be created within Web3 that we can't even imagine now. What we're, what we're seeing now is just scratching the surface of how we can redistribute the monetary system, how we can create digital ownership, how we can increase the speed of stuff. I mean, shit, you know, I just took a payment from a client via USDC, US dollar coin, and it got there in, in, in 15 minutes, which is actually slow for the blockchain. Yeah. And for, from ACH, it could have taken five to seven working days. What the fuck is a working day? You know, yeah. <laughs> like. The the whole process of, of, I mean, just for global remittances, right? It's like you just, you just use some of this shit, right? Like I, I think if you ever had to go into a bank and send a wire, even just the whole process of having to sit down and wait for a teller and, and then, and now they like want to sell you a bank account and, and, 
You know, like it, it, it's like I got to show my ID, sign this thing. Where's it going? What's it for? You know, and, and, and then it takes days to, to process. And there's a fee for it. If I go to Western Union now, it's like 8%. It's just like archaic, oh, yeah. archaic, Western archaic. Union. <laughs> but, you know, listen, for, for people who are unbanked and their family is in places that are unbanked, right? Like Western Union is how a large population gets money back home, especially ones who come to the U.S. to work and then oh, send yeah. money. You know, so so the, the the amount that Western Union makes off of those five percent or eight percent charges, ridiculous. Um, and as an extension, I would say the thing that that was fascinating to me when I first downloaded MetaMask, right, it was kind of like what you mentioned with uh, with with uh, the ENS, uh, the domain. I would encourage everybody to just download a MetaMask and just experience what it is like mm -hmm. when you use the internet with a single sign-on. You know, and like, you yep. don't have to go crazy. You know, a lot of times people are like, do I get the, the widest range of messages? I have an NFT TikTok. And so like what people send me is insane. And, you know, a lot of it's like just when's drops coming out, et cetera. But like people have no clue how to function and like access any of this stuff. And you don't have to go crazy, like buying expensive stuff, but just pick up something cheap, like buy an NFT, right. go to, go to just use the tech. Yeah. Find something that doesn't look weird to you, you know, like, or pick up, you know, like Disney is on Vive and they have all these golden moments. It's like you could throw 40 bucks on on this app and, and pick up like, yep. you know, a Toy Story thing or whatever. But, but just like start a MetaMask and experience using a browser with an extension that allows you to, you know, show ownership on the internet. And then just pick up an NFT. And if you don't understand what's going on by the time that you own your first NFT, come back and like, you know, for seconds. But I feel like just just doing that is like a masterclass in how easy this stuff can be. That's the best way to do it is to, is to get your hands dirty a little bit. And MetaMask, for anyone who doesn't know, is basically like a wallet. And it's also a swap now, which I just realized you could swap tokens on, on MetaMask, which is – yeah. There are other swaps like Uniswap and PancakeSwap where you can swap tokens. But on MetaMask, you can swap too, and it's very easy because it's right in your wallet, so it eliminates one step. Um, and even like, for instance, uh, with one of my um, one of my nephews, you know, he's really interested in digital art and crypto and stuff. And I've been trying to get him to get a wallet, but he's underage, and you can't get an, a wallet on Coinbase unless you have like government ID. And so I was like, kind of stressing out about it. I'm like, how am I going to get your crypto? I'm like, oh yeah, you can just get a MetaMask, you know. Yeah. And so he got a MetaMask. You just you get an address for it. It gives you an address. You create it. It gives you a secret passcode, and then I can send him crypto. You know, he can cash that out if he wants to. He can buy, yeah. you know, he can buy anime, fucking anime NFTs or whatever. You know, and it's just like it's pretty revolutionary if you think about it. Yeah, it, it is. And I think that's why it's keeping people that are into it up at night, you know, because it, it's, uh, you know, the funny thing is to hear like the experts talk about how they feel so overwhelmed, right? Like the people like the Andreessen Horowitz and like the guys who understand this stuff, like the Chris Dixon and, and like Bankless, like when you hear those guys who are like deep in the weeds and are still like, it's scaling so fast in so many directions, yeah. you know? And so yep. I feel like that seems to be the theme, right? Is people find the thing that resonates with them just like you would in the real world, right? You have a job that you enjoy doing, yep. maybe, maybe not, whatever. You go to, you know, hobbies that you enjoy doing. It's like just downloading a MetaMask and diving in a little bit and spending a weekend being like, all right, let me pick up an NFT. You know, it's like, 
you'll spend a hundred bucks and you'll understand the most groundbreaking technology that will be probably of our near future. Yeah, you'll look at it, you'll say, okay, I gotta, I gotta go to, I gotta put my credit card into Coinbase and get some Ethereum. And yeah. I gotta take an address and send it to MetaMask. And then I gotta go on OpenSea and pick one that I want, connect the browser to OpenSea. But then after you do it a few times, you're like, oh, okay, it's not that much different than Amazon. It's not that much yeah. different than using, you know, these, the, you know, we're, we're still early days when it comes to like usability and user experience. But if you've used the internet, the, the, the benefit here is that web three is being, being built on the back of web one and two. Yep. There's context for it, you know, and, and web, really web three is still being built with a lot of the same interfaces. So they're using JavaScript to build things that look familiar to us, you know, and we're, we're also more comfortable with exchanging our personal data online or our information online, even though this is actually more depersonalized than web two in a lot of ways. So, so there's, you know, it's not actually that hard. Um, I know that when I was first learning to, um, I was fucking with some of these dog coins over the summer, you know, just to see what I was looking at. And I, I was like, like surprised at some of these crazy gains. And, uh, but it was just hard for me to wrap my mind around making swaps. Now, after having done it a bunch of times, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Swap the Ethereum for this. Click, 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 click address. Click, 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 click done. Yeah. You know, now, now I was, now I'll get a friend who texts me and I'll be on the plane. I'll be swapping something on the plane and it's, I'm swap before I take it off. You know, it's easy. And then you go back and interact with web two, right? And the experience is fucking horrible. Like I was doing <laughs> my taxes. I was doing my taxes. And I had to get, I had to get the transactions for the year from, from TD bank, right? Which remember they were like the most like friendly bank in America, right? Somehow they don't have any portal. I don't know if it's just cause I use a Mac, but you know, I, I, either way, if you can't interact with Macs and you can't just give me an Excel of all of my transactions for the year in 2021, you know, like what's going on here? I had. I had to go into a branch to print out transaction <laughs> list. And and when I tell you how embarrassed I was to be standing online in 2021 to ask for a list of all of my transactions from some random teller, it was like, why is this all of this so hard when the technology is already there? And it's because these these financial institutions, these record companies, these like all of these empires that are in charge are just so behind the curve. I worked, you know, I, I worked at a big firm and, and the, the politics of getting anything changed is like, I mean, things take months, if not years to change basic technology. Oh yeah. And they don't and want you, to, they don't want well, to. Right. That's well, the main reason, you know, well, well, I, they, I bet, I bet now they do. I mean, I, I put up a, a, a Twitter thread a couple days ago and I was talking about one of my experiences with, with mass mutual who I formerly I had a policy with. You, did you read that? Yeah. These fucking bastards. Why Web three? So I have I have a, a you know a, a whole life policy which, which has cash to- value. Which is a totally different conversation that we should have another time. When I saw that you we had a whole time. Life, yeah yeah you know? yeah for sure. A whole thread about it. I have a cash value policy. It displayed a certain amount of money in the cash value policy. It said money available to withdraw. I go to withdraw the money. It takes three weeks to get the money. When I get the money, it's only half of what it says on my actual statement in multiple places on my account. When I call them, it takes me another month just to get them to contact them. Then they say that they're investigating it. And then they come back to me another month, another month later saying that it was actually a computer error and I didn't have that money in there. 
And, and, and they said in their, in their note, they said they're pleased to inform me it was a computer error and please don't contact them again about it. You know, and, and that's the other thing is that every, all of these firms are so deceptive. It's like that type of stuff is, is, it is, you know, I'm constantly transferring accounts from other firms and like some of these dinosaur firms, the way they do business is so like, so fucking lackluster, shady. lackluster, but also as shady as it gets. The way they, like, you'll try, I was trying to roll over a retirement plan last week. We submitted the request online or a few weeks ago, and then they sent a letter saying, we've got, we've got your request. On the third page, it said, if you don't sign and send this back in the next month, we'll cancel the request. Imagine, imagine quitting, trying to access your retirement. It takes them weeks to send you a letter. And then the letter is just to say, hey, we know that you said you want to do this. If you don't tell us again that you want to do this within the next 30 days, we're going to act like you never told us you wanted to a do it. A double opt-out. It's, it's, like, it's like when you go to cancel like a subscription and yeah. uh, like yeah. online, they say you have to call us to cancel. And then when you call them, you can't get on the phone. They say use our online portal. <laughs> yeah. It, it fucking you ever had that happen to you before? It, all the time. All the time. It is infuriating. It's infuriating. Yeah. You're yeah. calling them because what you need isn't online. And then on the automatic wait line, they're telling you how easy it is to use their yeah, online go, portal. Go on the website. Go check it out. We got... We're so tech Bitch, I wouldn't yeah. be calling you if, yeah. when I, whenever I call the IRS. They're like, did you know that the IRS has a website? I'm like, I, do you think I would be on the phone with you <laughs> if I could do this on the website? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Absolutely not. Never. For one second. So, to, you know, I, and, no. and, and it's like, I don't know if you, I always message brands on Twitter because I feel like that's the quickest way. Like nobody wants like, you know, a brand doesn't want people like trying to reach out to them on Twitter. And then you see the response time for some of these brands. They're not even on Twitter. Like these people are like living behind these like, you know, these third parties, archaic system. It's, it, it's, yeah. I, I think so, that across the board, there's a ton of room for disruption. And I think that when you look at all of these technologies that are coming from Web3, including the one that excites me the most, NFTs and tokenization and the DAO structure and kind of like the community building. I think that we're going to see people will find things that they like about this way quicker than it has happened over the last few years because it'll be so in your face everywhere. Yeah. Especially our generation is so ready for this. Yeah. We've experienced the best that Web2 has to offer. And I think we're left kind of with blue balls yeah. you know, about yeah. what what's possible because we know that there's more to the internet, but these big companies are hoarding it. They're yeah. hoarding it. They're not allowing us to really access our information or our money in quick and efficient ways. And they're also slowing us down because of it. So uh, they're not going to go. Look, you know, Facebook is not going to go away. It's turning into meta. Google is not going to go away. And in fact, I think big tech will boom as a result of Web3. But it's not going to be. Uh, but but there will be other options for you to participate in the Internet without being under the guise of these overlords. You don't have to be part of the evil empire just to play. Yeah. And, and I think that there's definitely a community of of really active and brilliant developers who have kind of made up their minds that like no matter what you have to pay, um, I think it, I don't know if you if you follow G Money, he's like big in the NFT scene out here. But I think he posted that he kind of it was like an open call to to artists and, and NFT artists and saying like these brands are going to be knocking at our door and paying a ton of money to put us on payroll. You know, like Facebook, these you know. And he's like, we have to resist the temptation because we saw what happened the last time that, you know, we went after the money, you know, or, or our parents went after the money. 
you know, and I think that there's a, that's, that's what's neat about it is that this time it's being rebuilt in a way that like, you know, takes the power back from people who have seen what happens when you like give the power away. Man, I could talk about this for hours. We can go down the rabbit hole. Uh, We can probably even do a part two of this. Where can people find more from you, Jonathan? Yeah. So on Instagram at Mr. Mr. Period P R O F O L I O Mr. Profolio. Um, and that's cool. a good place. That's where I'm the most active. Um, and also the name of my firm is the Profolio Group. My email address here is Jonathan at the Group.com. Great. We'll put it all in the show notes, man. Uh, Jonathan, Steve, thank you so much for your time and the laughs. And we'll, yeah. uh, we'll, we have, we'll work on going even further down the rabbit hole next time. We got more yeah. projects on the work in the works. We have, we have some cool stuff coming up. I'm looking forward to it. today i hope you really enjoyed that episode as much as i did and if you want to learn more from john i highly recommend you check out his social media go to go check him out on instagram actually he's really posting a lot of interesting uh relevant content around nfts which you can tell he's crazy about this he'll go deep he'll go deep into it with you he'll go into the deep waters you can check him out on instagram at mr.profolio and if you want to learn more about his actual business check out the profoliogroup.com Now, if this was interesting for you today and you really love what's happening in the Web3 space, you want to learn more about crypto, you want to understand blockchain technology and what's happening in this new wave that we're all part of, I highly recommend you check out the new wave workshop. This is happening November 17th and 18th of this year, 2021. And we're going to be going deep into what it takes to get involved in the industry, to start investing, to understand the technology, to not, to make sure that you're you're not missing out on the real possibilities, but you're also not getting scammed and you're also not giving into the FOMO. This is a, the real deal in getting you to get up to speed in the fundamentals of what's happening in this space. So if you want to learn more about this, check out newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash workshop for all the details. All right, now that's all I got for you today. I'll catch you on the next wave.